One of the great privileges of getting to serve a congregation for over 20 years are milestones, and I just did kind of a deja vu thing here. I'm, I'm looking over at the angel lighting the candle, and I go, wait a minute, that's, that's not Elena Gilson. <laughs> that's Sophia Gilson. But it, you look just like your big sister. And she was, I remembered her doing those things years ago. Wow, and now she's playing in the, in the orchestra at Point Loma Nazarene College, and mom's here playing this morning. Wow. What a great gift. We are so blessed. Listen to how God calls us to worship, tying all the lines together. You know, when Mary pondered what the shepherds had told to the, what the angels had told to them, Mary realized there's, there's a connection. And here's that connection. Matthew tells us, now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent means turn around, see the light, experience the gift. May we do that as we worship God today. Let those who are able stand, but come now. Father, we do thank you for showing us what first fruits are and for holding back nothing to give us everything by giving us your own son and filling our lives up with the most basic material needs and the eternal gift of life in Jesus Christ. Lord, receive our lives as those first fruits now, our very best, not our second best. You want everything that we are so that you may bless every part of our lives. So receive us now, Lord, and multiply what you have done in our lives that the whole world may see the wonder, the grace, the forgiveness, and the renewing life of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I think it takes a Russian to play a Russian composer like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Choir, magnificent sound. Karen, great job. I love hearing your solo voice from time to time. That's great. I see signs from God, too. And uh, in this past year, talking about stewardship, uh, Darren Berger has lost 50 pounds. He gave 50 pounds to God. And I notice, for some of you men will want to note, note this, it makes your hair grow back. <laughs> Who would have known? Well, he's getting cold, you know, because he doesn't have that layer of insulation anymore. He's got to grow some hair back to stay warm in the winter. Hey, let's go to John. Uh, I, I am loving, uh, I, I'm loving how John's gospel leads us to the manger without our necessarily thinking that when we see the passage. But let's look at that today. Here in John chapter 9, it's, it's a... It's a pretty long passage, but it, bear with me because there's just so much in it. And it is uh, John 9, uh, 
1 through 41. Listen to God's word. As Jesus walked along, he, he saw a man blind from birth. That's important, that he was blind from birth. He had never, ever been able to see. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed, and he came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, it's, it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to, to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day. Now, you know, there's the problem. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, or he, or he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So again to the blind man, they said, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us. They drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That is, do you believe in the Messiah? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are, are, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God open our eyes through the reading of this word and through the hearing of this word that it may move us to worship him as the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and open our eyes. Let it come not only in word but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, and you are our salvation. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Have you ever wished, have you ever wished that you could walk up to God and ask the really hard questions of life. In this passage, that's exactly what the disciples did. They walked right up to Jesus. They knew Jesus would have the answer. That's why they went to him. There was their faith. You're going to be able to answer this tough question for us. And like us, they thought they already knew half of it. They thought, they thought they already knew they had half the answer. They presumed, here's the part they thought about. They presumed this man was blind as a direct result of his sin or that of his parents. That was the understanding then. And you know what? I think a lot of the time it is for us too. When things go wrong, we figure it's some connection 
to misbehavior. Jesus could have stumped them. He could have stumped them by saying, well, if I tell you it was this man's sin that made him blind, then you tell me when he sinned to cause his blindness. Because what? He was born blind. If it was his sin that caused him to be born blind, when could it have happened? He could have said that. And they would have had to go, he's always doing that. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. What Jesus did do then and so often does is he called them, and he call, as he calls us, to look beyond our presumption. Look beyond what you think you see, what you think the situation is, because he said, you know what? It isn't either of these. It's not his parents. It's not him. It's not a behavior. It's something more. This man is this way so that your eyes and the eyes of those who really want to see may be opened to who God truly is and to what God offers to do in all who trust him with their blindness. That's why this man is blind. Eyes need to be opened. Because this man was born blind, particularly in that day, he was dependent upon others. Can you imagine in that time? How in the world are you going to get anything? Anything that was going to sustain this man came as a result of his willingness to let others help him. We're so strong and tough, we just think we've got to do it ourselves. That day, Jesus didn't even ask the man if he wanted him to help him. You notice that? And when you see the approach that Jesus took, can you, can you see why Jesus didn't ask the man? I mean, what was he going to say? Can I spit on the ground and rub mud in your eyes? What are you going to say? Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, this is going to really make a difference, yeah. Uh, but you notice the man did not, when Jesus started to do this, did not say, what are you doing? You know why? Because Jesus, or the man knew, the man knew that if his situation couldn't get worse. Rub dirt in my eyes? Yeah, I can't see anyway. Maybe he knew something about Jesus. I suspect that's what desperation does. When we're truly desperate and we know that none of the solutions out there are going to work, maybe that's when we really start to know who Jesus is. But the point is that he trusted Jesus. Whatever you're doing, have at it. We will never know how much we are not seeing. We will never know how much our presumption is getting in the way until we put ourselves in the hands of the one who really knows what's going on in our lives. The one who can really open our eyes. Now, give, let me give you an example. The problem is we don't think we have a vision problem. Problem is we think we see perfectly fine. We think that we see everything is just as it needs to be. Yes, there really is a presbyopia, Darren. It means the hardening of the eye. You can ask your optometrist or ophthalmologist about this. And the reality is that our vision problem and presbyopia, which means the aging of the eye, presby means elder or older, 
The, the problem is it sneaks up on most people physically. It sneaks up, and spiritually it sneaks up on us. We think we're seeing everything spiritually and physically just fine. But let me give you an example. Several years ago, just this next week, I had my annual eye exam. Every single one of you, your children, your grandchildren, do not skip it. I'll tell you why. Do not skip your annual eye exam. Do not. Here's why. Dr. Tom Gibbons, Division at Fifth, said to me, the pressures in your eyes are too high. I'm sending you to Dr. Rob Wolf. Dr. Wolf immediately that day looked at my pressures and said, 40? I'm going, well, yeah, it's a good biblical number, Doc. He goes, not for you, it's not. I had no idea what he was meant when he goes, 40? He said, you aren't feeling anything? You don't have severe headaches? No. He said, well, that it, sometimes it works that way, but 40 is really, really dangerous. It's really high. You have glaucoma. We need to do surgery. I said, when? He said, this afternoon. <laughs> uh, it was December 23rd. I go, uh, Doc, I kind of got a little busy thing tomorrow night. Um, I don't think so. He said, okay, then we're going to do it the day after Christmas. We're talking urgent. And so it was. Glaucoma is the silent stealer of sight. You may not know that you have it. That's why you've got to get checked every year, your pressures. You may not know that you have it, but it can be slowly stealing your vision. I have loss of vision in the right eye and some, some field of the optic nerve because I didn't catch it soon enough, and I was getting checked every year. Too often, it does its damage before we know that it's happening. This is how it happens to us spiritually as well. We don't think that the pressures of this world are any real big deal. We're handling it. We got this. Yeah, there's some stress, but we got it. And yet, we aren't seeing just fine. We think we have a clear view on how we need to navigate this life and what we need to do. And then a wall. Where'd that wall come from? Came up and jumped, just jumped up and smacked me in the face. No, it didn't. You know what happened? We walked right into it because we weren't seeing. We thought we were seeing just so right when in fact it's we who walked into that wall. You see, it wasn't this man or his parents who had the inherent blindness gene. No one in my family had, has had glaucoma, but I did. No history. See, the reality is the whole world is susceptible to glaucoma. The whole world has that pressure on it called sin and evil that slowly, subtly blinds us to the truth. An emblem of this is that those who should know this are too often the first to miss it because they think they see everything so clearly. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, hey, we got this all wired. You're the one who can't see, they said. But the reality is we don't see the way we think we do. And until we, as a human race, as a church, as a nation, as a world, surrender to this reality, we will continue to cause our own disasters 
by running into walls that keep us from the peace, the hope, the contentment, and the life that Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to heal glaucoma. Jesus came to drain that pressure off so that our optic nerve, our spiritual optic nerve, would not be damaged. Because they have been damaged to the point of not seeing. For our eyes to be opened, we need to be willing to accept that what might seem to be the most ridiculous approach to life is the one that will make us whole. That's what the gospel's about. We need to realize that that which to the world makes no sense at all is exactly what will heal us. This man had mud made from spit put on his eyes. Does that sound like that'll work? Does that sound like a remedy, the first thing you would go to? No, I'm, I'm sorry. But I just wouldn't begin to think this is going to do any good. No. And then it gets worse. He's got mud on his blind eyes, and he's told by Jesus to stumble through Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. Now, some of you have been to the old city of Jerusalem. It hasn't changed. It's like a Rubik's Cube maze, and it's got uneven surfaces, and you're blind, and you're trying to get from one side of this place two-thirds of a mile over to the other side. No, no. But that's what he's told to do. And three things come to mind. One is that in telling him to go, Jesus said, I am that I am the light of the world. God is sending you to the pool of Siloam. It's the place where Hezekiah's tunnel comes out. For those of you who know it, that's where Jerusalem's water source then and now brings fresh living water where Solomon was anointed king, where Jewish priests then and even today go to take ceremonial water as a mark of the renewing life and the living water that God is. He was sent to that place. But most, most essentially, the reason this is so significant is that this man did what Jesus told him to do. That's what will heal our blind eyes, is doing what Jesus has told us to do. And the only way we're going to know that is by opening his word and listening to him day in and day out. He trusted Jesus. He was not a scholar. Most of us are not. He had never read a book. It turns out books for the blind were not on CD yet. But he trusted Jesus. I want us to consider why this worked for him and what this involved. It meant for him to go to that pool that he had to ask person after person to guide him to one place. He had to say, are you sure? Is this it? Am I at the pool of Siloam? To the place where Jesus had sent him. And when he got there, he had to do what Jesus told him to do in order to have his eyes opened. You see, when we let Jesus touch the most damaged part of ourselves... When Jesus is touching the most damaged part of ourselves, and it seems like nothing is going to change that, but we are saying, Jesus, come and touch me. Jesus, come into this part of me that I can't heal. Then things happen. Then, as we sang this morning, our eyes at last 
can see him through his own redeeming love. Jesus Christ loves you, my friends. He wants to open everything that is broken, heal everything. The tragedy of the eyes of many is that their eyes were closed to Jesus. We're looking everywhere but to Jesus. But many also that day realized that the one who can open eyes that have never been opened before is in fact the Lord of all. And you see, that is what this season is about. It is what is at the gospel's core. God's love for us unites us at that pool where we all have mud on our eyes and he washes it away. He washes away the damage that has been keeping us from seeing what it really means to trust him, to love him, to be loved by him, to obey him in a face of a world that says that's nuts. It's not happening. It's never going to work. Get your visa card out. Go to the Mayo Clinic. Scream and holler, but God's not going to do anything. That's the world we live in. We know what it means to be healed when we say, the only thing that will heal me is Jesus. You see, it is so profound that early Christians chose to celebrate God coming to us in the darkest time of the year. The, day, the days grow dark so quickly. It seems like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's already dark. Christmas is the reminder that God came to deal with what we can't fix, the darkness, our inability to see. What this time in our collective life is calling us to realize is that God came into the world in the, in the words of the book of Esther for such a time as this. Is our world blind? Is our nation blind? Is the world blind to what hope is? We live in a world that thinks somehow if we will follow one particular human agenda, everything's going to be fine. It's not. There's only one hope for the world. For such a time as this that God came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The man said, I may not know him as well as I want or need to, but one thing I know I was blind, and now I see. That needs to be our story. My friends, it is as we are led by the light of Jesus Christ out of the darkness of our world and into a place where we personally are given the opportunity to, to let him touch our eyes with his supernatural power, then our eyes will be open to what we've previously not seen. That God will do the impossible with our lives when our lives are yielded to him. What this encounter with Jesus shows us is that Jesus is not Santa Claus. Thank you, Jesus. That is, he doesn't come to us with presents because we have been good, naughty or nice, and neglect us when we are bad, we've been naughty. Jesus comes to us with his presence because our situation is one we cannot repair. He comes because we have been bad, not because it was a particular behavior, but because our situation is one that we can't heal. We didn't get ourselves blind, and we cannot get ourselves to see. This is the gift of salvation embodied in Christmas. God comes giving a gift we cannot manufacture. We can only put it on and wear it. 
That is the present of his presence for us. We are cold. We didn't get ourselves cold. It's just cold. And he is that covering that makes us warm. And the only thing we have to do is to realize that is the covering we need and put that covering on. It is grace, period. And we don't just put it on every once in a while, but on, on realizing we're facing the cold, we've got to wear it all the time. We think there's something we can do, but the reality is there's only one thing that can be done, and it's what God can do. Listen, as we wrap up today, think about this. The story's been told for a long time, but it's a true, true event. There's a painting called Checkmate. You can look it up on the internet for those of you who are so inclined. Checkmate. Take a look at it. It's two men standing in front of this painting in an art gallery, and in this painting, a man is playing chess with the devil. Let me just tell you something. If you play chess, don't play with the devil. Play with Jesus. But in this case, the man is playing chess with the devil, and the devil is grinning ear to ear because he has the man conquered. And the reality is, my friends, apart from Jesus Christ, we are conquered. The title of the painting, Checkmate, indicates that the game is over. It's over. The devil has won the soul of his opponent in this chess match, and the opponent has no moves left. You're stuck. That's it. You're done. Toast. Forget it. Bye-bye. Forever. Of the two people that visited the gallery that day, the first man is looking at the painting, and, and he wants to move on to other paintings in the gallery, but second man, his friend, is a chess champion, and he's gazing on that, that painting, and he, he will not leave. He wants to look at it longer, so he waves his friend on. He goes, I'll catch up with you. And he stares and he stares and he stares at that chessboard. And suddenly he steps back and he's flabbergasted. And he goes, it's wrong. In the middle of this gallery, it's wrong. There's one more move. And he runs to get his friend. And together they look at the painting. And he says, we've got to contact the painter. We've got to tell him. It's not checkmate. The king still has one move. The king still has one move. My friends, the king, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself has come. He's made that one move from far off right into our midst to sustain, to redeem, to renew, to claim us. When it seems like that there is no way out, whatever it is whatever's gone wrong, whatever's going wrong, whatever we think might go wrong, the king always has one more move. God steps in and sends himself into our story to show he always has another move. And he says, I will open your eyes. And I will do it in a way that makes no sense. Because then you'll know it's me. How do we say, I once was blind, but Jesus made me see. This is the Christmas story. Herod couldn't see. Jesus' own people couldn't see. The world that tries to obscure the church can't see, and too much of our own culture can't see it either. But governments and cultures and agendas have come and gone. None have lasted more than a few hundred years. But the light of Jesus Christ opens blind eyes. 
his body in the world. The church continues to shine out today. Today. Let's be people who let go of pride and take hold of Jesus and even let him lead us to a place where he puts mud in our eyes and washes them to open them. And as we let him humble us, may the power of his grace be seen to the world for his glory. Merry Christmas, my friends. May our eyes be opened. Amen. Our Father, we don't want to admit our devastation, our desperation, but we need to. And we pray that whatever it is in that hidden corner of our lives, we would let you come in and do what you alone can do and that we would have the courage, the confidence, and the wisdom to go and wash where you tell us to wash, to do whatever you call us to do. May our trusting you like this be testimony to the world that you truly are our Savior. In your precious name we pray.